take our Bibles tonight and uh, make our way to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, we're going to look at a passage uh, tonight in verse 3 through verse 11. Uh, that's where we'll be studying together. And uh, the title of the message is Comforted in Christ. Comforted in Christ. And so we're going to look at how Paul brings out this, uh, this truth of comfort, being comforted and being a comfort to others. And uh, I think it's a good, uh, a good uh, application for us to uh, consider together uh, as Christians. And so let's read our text and we'll study it together. And uh, notice in verse, verse number 3 of 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many." I think what Paul brings out here is something that the church is always going to be in need of, and that is the comfort that we have in Christ. We think just for a moment tonight, what is it to be comforted? Well, look up just an English dictionary for the word comfort. It means a state of ease and freedom from pain or constraint, consolation for grief or anxiety. So in simple terms from our own definition, in the English language, to be comforted is to be eased or encouraged in something that has one discouraged or discomforted. So it is the opposite of being discouraged. It's the opposite of being uh, uneasy or discomforted. And so we think about our life. We all experience a variety of things in our life that cause us to be in need of comfort, right? Maybe it's something as simple as having a bad day. Anybody had one of them? We've all had those, right? At the end of a bad day, we would like some comfort, some encouragement. Maybe you've heard some bad news, and so that news has you down. You need comfort with regarding that. Maybe you are experiencing something or have experienced something that is bad and very uh, uncomfortable. It doesn't take a whole lot to get us down. And it seems that in our world, we are more prone to be downhearted than we are to be uplifted, aren't we? Uh, what is the primary form of news we get? It's always something negative, isn't it? Something that's disheartening, something that's discouraging, something that is meant to rile up the emotions in a negative way. That's, that's how our world, our media, it's always something bad, right? Uh, so, But regardless of those things outside in the world, there's also the things in our personal life that get us down. And I've found many times we come to places where we need encouragement. 
We need to be built up. We need to be edified. We need comforted. And so in those times, we find comfort is what God is the one who provides for us. So Paul, Paul brings out these truths for the Corinthians and us as we consider this text together. He opens this letter recognizing some key truths about God, but also about Christians in the realm of comfort. He points out that God is our comfort, but he also points out that Christians are an agent of comfort. And so there's a twofold application with that. The word comfort here in our Greek lexicon has the definition of lifting up another's spirits, comfort, consolation. So you may even have your translation may say consolation instead of comfort or even encouragement. Sometimes this Greek word is translated as encouragement uh, or consolation or comfort. So there's a few different words that's used for it. But what we find plainly is that the text points us to the fact that both God and His people bring comfort to other Christians who are in trial and in affliction. Now, Paul knows this by experience, as we're going to find through this text, and uh, he wants the Corinthians to understand that. So notice just a couple points here tonight, and as we look at this topic, this subject of comfort, and really come through this text, and how Paul brings this truth to the point of this church. Number one is this, I want you to see Paul's explanation of comfort. Paul's explanation of comfort. And notice firstly the person who gives comfort, really the source, where comfort truly comes from. And we can all identify this plainly in our Christian knowledge that it is God who gives comfort. He says that in verse 3, notice this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's a customary uh, introductory remark for Paul and it's one that's uh, very beneficial. It gives us insight into God and who Christ is. He, he opens Ephesians that way. We studied that uh, not long ago, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's, that's a comforting introduction in and of itself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It recognizes the Father's relationship to the Son, that Jesus Christ, He is Lord. It identifies their relationship to each other, but also their relationship to us. God is who? He's our Father, right? That itself is a comfort to the Christian. Christ is who? He's our Lord. That itself is our comfort. That is what we find comfort in. And so God comforts His people in this life as His people, and then we find there's an eternal reality in which someday His saints will enter into a perfect state of comfort, encouragement, and peace with Him. Uh, one, one example of this is you look at Luke 16, 25, and this is Jesus describing the state of Lazarus. We know the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and they both died. The rich man died, and he woke up in hell. But Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, which we could equate with uh, being in, in, in the presence of the Lord uh, in, after the cross. But Luke 16, 25, you notice how he's described. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I find that comforting in the sense that uh, we look forward to being in the presence of Christ. What greater comfort will there be than that? You think God it comforts us in this life, but the greatest and chief comfort 
is the fact that when we depart this life, we enter into the presence of our Lord. We enter into His domain, His presence, and we can be sure of the comfort and peace that we have in Jesus. Uh, as, and so that is part of the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. But beyond just this wonderful opening, as we pointed out, it's introductory talk there, Paul points out this specific characteristic of God for the people of God. Who is God? Well, we would spend all year and all the rest of our life just trying to answer that question, right? But, but Scripture lays out several characteristics to the nature of God. And notice what Paul lays out in this verse. In verse 3, he calls Him the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies. Now, I want you to think about that description for a moment. Were it not for the mercies of God, would you and I have any true comfort at all? No, we wouldn't, right? Comfort flows firstly from the mercy of God. You see, the mercy of God is in itself, that truth, that doctrine, is a comfort to God's people because of what mercy is. What is mercy? Mercy, understand, is not getting what you rightly deserve because of your sin. So, in essence, mercy is what holds back God's wrath and judgment from sinners. His mercy restrains that. His mercy provides salvation for us. His mercy is chiefly manifested in the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, where grace and mercy meet together on behalf of His people. Grace, giving us what we don't deserve, Mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, both of them work hand in hand. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ, he, he bore our sins and rose from the grave, and, and all of that is an act of mercy and grace, and His mercy is extended to His people in this way. His mercy, beyond just salvifically, is known day by day. The fact that we get to breathe and live another day is an act of mercy. The unregenerate world around us is a recipient of mercy and God's common grace in the fact that they get to continue living uh, when they should uh, receive His judgment. But notice how God is described. He is the Father of mercies, and as the Father of mercies, notice that Paul also calls Him the God of all comfort because this is really the subject of this passage. Notice how many times comfort is repeated. Comfort, 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 and comforted. It's repeated several times through this passage. And so God is the God of all comfort. Just as God is the God of, He is a God of love and righteousness and patience and justice and grace and mercy and holiness, here we find yet this trait. He is a God of comfort. Romans 15, 5, another passage, Paul uses this same Greek term, although it's translated differently here. May the God of endurance and encouragement, some may use comfort here, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. So notice he's describing God as the God of comfort, the God who comforts and encourages his people. So through the scriptures, we read of God's plan and how it reveals him to be the comfort of his people. Here's one example when we reference Think of Jesus as the comfort of His people. In Luke 2.25, we looked at this during the Christmas season where Simeon is awaiting for the Savior. But notice what he calls him in Luke 2.25. A man named Simeon, they're in Jerusalem. 
He was righteous and devout, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. What is that consolation? It's the same term. It's the comfort of Israel. Now, what does he mean by the comfort of Israel? The comfort of Israel is the Messiah and his arrival. And here's where we find this comfort is that the comfort that you and I need and that God gives is all centered in the person of Jesus Christ. It comes to us through him. He is the comfort of his people. The comfort of God, understand, was experienced by Simeon, experienced by the disciples as they knew Jesus and walked with Jesus. They, they're seeing the Messiah, all these prophecies fulfilled in him. But that comfort has not ceased because Jesus has left the world, right? Notice that Paul says, who comforts us, comforts us. He's talking to the Corinthians. He's talking about himself after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, Jesus is not physically in the world at this moment, nor when Paul was writing this, right? Jesus, the comfort of Israel, had arrived. Jesus had left. Does that mean comfort had left? Nope. What do we find through the Scriptures? We find that God has sent us a comforter. If you look with me for a moment, just to look at these references in John chapter number 14, We'll look at a few that I've listed there. I think I put those in your notes. John 14, verse 15 through 18, and then John 15, verse 26 and 27. We're going to look at the third person of the Trinity who is called here. He's called the helper in some translations, but also the comforter in some translations. They're they're translated differently, but it's the same word, but they imply the same thing. John 14, and notice what Jesus says here. John 14, verse 15 through 18, he says, If you love me, You will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, pause for a moment. He says, I'll give you another helper, another helper, essentially one in the same because they are one in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So by Jesus physically leaving and sending his Holy Spirit, you have the person of Jesus in the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. God, you have God dwelling in you, a helper, a comforter. Even the spirit of truth, verse 17 says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You understand that the Christian has a comfort that the world around us does not have. You see that? We have God himself, the spirit of truth dwelling in us, whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him. You go next to the next passage here in chapter 15. Look at verse 26 and 27. How he uses this same language in description of the comforter of the Spirit of God. 26 and verse 27. But when the helper comes, the comforter, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You understand that what Jesus is saying in chapter 14 through verse chapter 17, this is just hours before he's about to die. I mean, this is, this is not like, hey, disciples, we've got a whole other month. We've got a whole other, you know, half a year. This is less than 24 hours, and Jesus is going to die, and they are going to be absolutely torn up inside because they don't understand at the moment why their Messiah, who they have committed their lives to follow, 
has just been taken and crucified. And Jesus is giving them these words to help them understand that though he's leaving them, they're going to see him at the resurrection, he's going to leave them permanently, but not permanently in a sense, because he's sending the helper. He's sending the Holy Spirit. He's sending the comforter. You look again at chapter 16 and verse 5 through 7 where he uses this again. He says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What is it we need when sorrow has filled our heart? We need comfort, don't we? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So this is the promise of Christ, that he would send the comforter, the helper, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And here's what I love about how this ties into 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul is talking in verse 3, and notice what he says. He says, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Notice what he says in verse 4, this first sentence. Who comforts us in some of our affliction. No, he says in all of our affliction. God the Comforter comforts us in all of our affliction. You see, this was a present comfort for Paul. And it would be the same comfort for the Corinthians. And it would be also the same comfort for every Christian and every generation till the end of history. That God the Spirit dwelling in His people comforts His people in all of their affliction. There is no form of affliction that is too great for the Comforter to bring you help in. To comfort you in. That's what we find. So through the Spirit's presence... And help to us, we are comforted. We see this in the early church as they suffered persecution. We see the Spirit comforting them. Acts 9.31, we find the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That's a wonderful thing for us to consider. But our comfort of God is not only about the Spirit comforting us individually. There's a reason that He comforts us. There's a reason that He gives us this help. And notice with me, letter B, in this first point, we see the purpose of receiving this comfort that Paul lays out in this text. Notice as he continues in verse 4, he says, Who comforts us in all our affliction, and here's the purpose, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, interwoven into the comfort that God gives us is the ministry of being a comfort to others who have experienced what we experienced that we got comfort from God in. You see, God not only uses the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts, but he also will use other people as a means of comforting his people. And I'm thankful for that. That's one of the, one of the why, why the local church is so essential for the people of God. We need each other. We need the fellowship of each other. We need to worship together. We need the comfort and edification that we can give to each other. That is what the local church is all about. 
Oftentimes, comfort comes from another person. Have you ever been downcast or discouraged and defeated, but someone came and spoke to you and gave you a word of encouragement? Maybe they just comforted you in a way that they're trying to lift you up because they see you're down. Maybe they, in their words, they give you some perspective that you had not seen before, and it was a comfort and an encouragement to you. This was a person God used to lift you up. Now, Paul makes mention of this several times throughout the New Testament of people who were a comfort to other people in various ways. They were an encouragement to them. For example, after Paul and Silas had been beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, can you imagine how the church felt that they had just planted there? They were distressed about this. They returned after their release. They came to the saints in Acts 16.40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, what did they do with them? They encouraged them and departed. They encouraged them. No doubt. If we had uh, our spiritual leaders thrown into prison, that would be an alarming thing, wouldn't it? It would be comforting to have good news about them. Paul and Silas, they comforted them. In another instance, Paul sends specific people to be a comfort to others for this purpose. In Ephesians 6, 21 through 22, notice this. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage or comfort your hearts. Now, this, this kind of news was to be a comfort to the people of God as they heard about how Paul was doing and how things were going. Same thing, really, in a sense, when we hear of missionaries. You know, we support missionaries abroad in different places, and it's encouraging when they're back here and they come tell us how great God is working in their lives and in their ministry. It's a comfort. It's an encouragement to them. Notice later in this passage, in this chapter, not, excuse me, in this book, 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4 through 7, Paul will give this same truth again. Notice what he says, how, the, how these others are being an encouragement to someone else. He says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. But you look at Paul's description there. He was very downcast. He was uh, physically wore down. But he says the coming of Titus was a comfort to him, but also the comfort of the news of how the Corinthians were burdened and praying for him. So it's like a domino effect. Comfort from Titus, from the church at Corinth, and it just accumulates to encourage Paul and comfort him in his, in his ministry. And that's what's needed in, in God's word. God's people need comfort from God's people. We're called to build up each other when we're down. We're called to encourage each other when we've been discouraged. This is what the church is called to do, to build up one another. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's the command to us. So we must examine ourselves in light of this passage that we're studying. Do we comfort those who are in trouble? Do we lift up those who are down? Is there someone who's experienced something that you've experienced and perhaps you could be a comfort to them? You could be an encouragement to them. This is one reason that our trials that we go through, they actually prove to be very profitable. You understand that our trials we go through, they're never just random or by chance and, oh, oh, poor me, this is some accidental thing. Everything we go through has divine sovereign purpose in it. Firstly, for His glory. Secondly, for your good and growth. But also, so that through you going through it, you can also help another who's going to go through one of those same things. Now, probably one of my greatest trials and, or hardest I ever did go through was, was the passing of my father. It was a very sudden and shocking experience. It wasn't something we were expecting at all. But during that time, there were people who had lost their own parents who had come to us and were a comfort to us. They were able to share how God worked in their life and helped them through that, and that was something that encouraged me in that time of mourning and trial. And guess what's happened since that time? I have had friends who lost their father, and I have been used to be a comfort to them and be able, it's, it's, a, it's a domino effect in which God uses his people to help others who experience the same things they've experienced. And so all of our trials may be different, but the, regard, but the truth is there's going to be someone who goes through something similar to you. What are you supposed to do in those situations? Be a comfort to those people. Encourage them through their suffering. Notice with the number two, we see Paul's experience of comfort. Paul's experience of comfort. And I'll just break this down, and this really focuses in on Paul and his example. Notice with me the testimony of Paul, firstly. The testimony of Paul. Now, there's no question that Paul endured great trial and tribulation for the cause of Christ. We have extensive writings uh, of his detail and suffering. But notice verse 5, he says, For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so that through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Notice he's got a positive view here. <laughs> we're, we're suffering in a great way. But that actually means we are getting a great measure of comfort from God and from his people. Even though it's great, his comfort in Christ is great. He's comforted in Christ, not only in receiving this uplifting from God's inner peace of the Spirit, but in knowing also that his suffering was for the good of the people of God and the glory of God. He says in verse 6, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. He knows that they are an example to the church, and that by their example they also could have comfort in their own suffering for Christ. So at the, at the core of Paul's suffering was his stand for the gospel, his commitment to seeing disciples made. He was willing to suffer for the sake of the churches so that they would know and grow in Christ. When the church was prospering, even while he was persecuted, he rejoiced and was comforted in that because he found joy in knowing God's people were receiving what they were to receive. Paul sees God's sovereign hand and redemptive purpose in everything that happens to him. 
whether that is in distress or comfort. And I think that is really the key for us, is seeing the big picture. Paul goes on to verse say in verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken. Why does he say that? Our hope for you is unshaken. Because he knows that as they also encounter suffering, they're also going to have great encouragement too. He's, he's not saying, Corinthians, I'm suffering so you can never suffer. He's saying, you're going to suffer too. But with your suffering, just as we're suffering for the gospel, you'll also be comforted too. That's why Paul's hope's not shaken. He knows that his God is the God of every Christian. The God of comfort is the same God to every one of his people. He comforts us because the church is a body that's interwoven together, experiencing sufferings in this life for the sake of Christ. What does Paul teach on that? 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That shows us the interlinking of God's people, especially those in a local church context that flows from his testimony experience. Notice with letter B, we see the trials of Paul. His testimony is plain. He's unshaken that his comfort uh, is going, he's comforted, but the church is comforted too. But in verse 8, notice what he says. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, How great was Paul's affliction that he's referencing? He says he was in despair of life itself. He thought they had the sentence of death. Perhaps at that moment, while he's suffering in Asia, God would take him home. We read throughout the book of Acts, and it's just a cycle. Goes into some place, preaches, gets beaten, one time left stoned for death, run out of town. Acts is full of the sufferings of Paul, and he lists them later in his letters. We read all about them. He had trial upon trial, suffering upon suffering, him and his companions. Paul said to Timothy about this. He said in 2 Timothy 3, 10, and 11, You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. He's pointing out to Timothy, you know who I am. You know the manner of life I live, what I believe, what I have endured, my endurance through all of these sufferings. And many of them were life-threatening. Yet we find he was comforted in them. Comforted in them. Now I imagine having troubles such as Paul might make one discouraged, downhearted, maybe even make one feel defeated. But you notice in verse 9 what Paul says, what he learns and what he testifies of his trials. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, when you're faced with your own mortality, you begin to think about the resurrection. You begin to think about what lies ahead, beyond the grave. When people are faced with their own mortality, nearing death, you you think more about that, don't you? And so Paul here, as he's brought to these points where he thought he had the sense of death, it just increased his faith to trust in the one who raises the dead. Raises the dead. God alone. You see, even the greatest threat taught Paul to trust 
in God who has power over death because His Lord, His Savior, His King has already triumphed over it, already triumphed over death. And this reminds us really of where our faith must rest in every circumstance and in every trial, every hardship. We must rest in the Lord who raises the dead, who is sovereign over all things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 spells it out so plainly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. That's a great verse to quote, but how easy is it for us to live it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our default is to lean on our own understanding. We enter into suffering and we try to figure it out and we try to figure out how to get out, right? That's how it works. But oftentimes, suffering doesn't give us a way out. We're just called to go through it. And if God has called us to go through it, you can rest assured in this, that he will also lead you through it, that he will comfort you through it, that he will strengthen you through it. So Paul's trial helped his faith, and God comforted him, comforted him in his faith as he was faithful to him. Notice letter C, the triumph of Paul. In verse 10, we see Paul reveals that though he was facing death, God brought deliverance to him. He says of God, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul had experienced near death, but then he'd experienced deliverance over and over and over again. He's presently experiencing God's deliverance, and he trusts that God will deliver him yet again. Because guess what? Until it's God's ordained time for us to die, He will deliver you. Get that. You will not flee from this life until it is God's appointed time. Just, just think about that reality. So here, here's the, this is the truth Paul knows. God will deliver him, past, present, and future, all within His providence. And this is what we rest in is that God is the deliverer of His people. But notice central to the context here is Paul's comfort in God's sovereignty and providence over him. And I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. You'll probably hear me quote it a thousand times within one year. When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. And that, Christian, is your comfort, is that He is the sovereign you can rest and be at peace and comforted that what I think is out of control in my life, it's under perfect control of His, in His hand. So Paul recognizes the hand of God over him, but he also recognizes verse 11. This is an important application for us too. Notice this, he says in verse 11, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Here's what Paul recognizes. He knows that God is sovereign and providential over everything, but he also understands that the prayers of God's people is a means by which God works. You ever wondered, well, if God's sovereign over all things, why pray? If God knows what's going to happen tomorrow, why pray? If God's ordained all things, why pray? Because God has ordained the means to the end. That's the same thing as saying, well, why share the gospel if God's sovereign and he's going to bring his elect to himself? Because God has ordained that the preaching of the gospel is what brings his people to himself. 
God has also ordained that the prayers of his people bring about his will in, his, in, 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 in this world. And so notice that Paul says he calls on them to help us by prayer. So understand this, Christian. Never think that prayer is meaningless and trivial in any fashion. God has ordained that his people pray. Pray on behalf of others. And here in this context, Paul wants them to pray on behalf of him and his afflictions. And that points us to the reality that you and I as Christians, we must pray on behalf of others and their afflictions. There's a reason we gather on this middle of the week and we take up specific prayer requests. Why? Because we all have people who are in affliction. We know people who need to be saved. We know people who are going through cancer and and through hardship and sorrow and have experienced death. And what is the call of God's people to do? It is to pray for them. And through the means of prayer, God brings down comfort upon others who are in great need. So we see Paul's triumph here. In all of his affliction, not only was that he, he was affected by the prayers of God's people, but I believe also we must consider the perspective that Paul has in relation to everything he's experienced. And I want to read this final passage, and we'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 8 through 18, just briefly read this. 2 Corinthians 4, and notice, notice this passage, how Paul describes his suffering, but his outlook also. He, he says here in verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Keep in mind, we're in the same book, all right? We, we read in chapter 7, we read chapter 4, how he's, he's bringing all this out. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And notice verse 16 through 18. He's given this discourse of his suffering and why they're suffering for the sake of God's people in the gospel. But in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient or temporal but the things that are not unseen are eternal what do you see with Paul here with all of his suffering all the things he's going through he knows that it's for the good of the gospel and the good of his people but his view, his perspective, is beyond the suffering of the temporal 
all the way to the eternal. As you go into chapter 5, he points out the confidence of leaving this earthly body and dwelling in the presence of Christ. This is the kind of perspective that gives us comfort. That this life is not all there is. That all the things we experience, they are truly temporary. They don't last forever. No matter what kind of affliction you're experiencing, it is temporary. It will come to an end. And this is a great comfort to our hearts. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to look at, to have the perspective of. He is sanctifying us in having that perspective. The closer we get to heaven, the more our hearts ought to be looking unto Jesus. And so I think of this passage and read it and study it. It is a great comfort to me because it points out the comfort that we have in Christ. It points out the comfort that I ought to be to other Christians. It reminds me of the comfort that other Christians have been to me. And so it's a challenge to us as a church that we're always looking to be a comfort to the people of God whether that's through physically telling them or talking to them, encouraging them, or praying for them, we need to be a comforting kind of people. And so I pray that we would do that, and maybe that's a good challenge for us tonight.